0: Happy Tuesday, everybody. Good to see you. Good morning to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for Tim with Tim. We go verse by verse through the Word of God. We just started the book of Acts together, and I'm excited. We're just right still in the first chapter. So if you're new, just now finding us on Facebook or YouTube or audio podcast somewhere, Spotify, Uh, I'm so glad you're with us. You have joined a good group, and what we do is good. Uh, we just encourage each other. We study together. We stay together, and uh, and I hope that you'll stick with us. Uh, Acts chapter one verse twelve is where we're picking up today. Jesus told the uh, the apostles to go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, and so that's what they're doing. Uh, the day of Pentecost, which we'll read about tomorrow, I can't wait. The day of Pentecost, of course, is fifty days after Passover. Um, Jesus had been appearing about 40 days, so it sounds like there's a period of, of about 10 days uh, between the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're guessing, but about, about 10 days, something like that, they, that they have to wait. And verses 12 to 26 tells us a little bit about what happened, what they did during those uh, few days before the Holy Spirit comes. It says that they went back to Jerusalem, went back to the house where they were staying, the, the upper room, the upstairs room. There's no way to know for sure, but I I, I tend to believe that it's the same upper room where they had the Last Supper, the house of Mary, uh, who was John Mark's mother. Uh, It'll be mentioned again later in the book of Acts. It just sounds like there was this one particular house owned by Mary that is um, uh, sort of the headquarters of the the disciples in Jerusalem, and I just sort of assume it's always the same house. So they're in the upper room, and uh, here are the names of those present. We've had several times when the names of the apostles are listed, and they're always in the you know, four gospels, seems to be a set order. Uh, Andrew's typically first, um, but in this case, Andrew's bumped down to fourth, and Peter, James, and John have a new prominence, which seems to be appropriate for their involvement in the book of Acts to follow, but it's just interesting to see that order sort of rearranged here. Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, um, we're talking about the 11 here because of course Judas is now uh, gone uh, Judas is dead they all met together they were constantly united in prayer along with Mary the mother of Jesus um, obviously we know that she is now you know being cared for by uh, the beloved disciple by John but uh, it's also uh, you know right for us to see that she's a believer in her own right she'd be here anyway. Along with several other women, the women—they're just called in the Greek. They're the women. Uh, the women are obviously the women disciples. Most likely, a number of those women are the wives of the apostles. We don't often think about that, but we know, for example, that Peter always traveled with his wife. So the the wives of the disciples are probably in that number, and along with Jesus's brothers, the Scripture says we know that in Jesus's ministry, the brothers weren't necessarily believers, but we also know that some of the resurrection appearances were to these brothers, like to James, for example. So the brothers are now here in the number of those who are believers. During this time, about 120, uh, it says there in verse 15. Interestingly, 120 is a number that you would need to have a local Jewish Sanhedrin. And so I don't know if that number is supposed to be symbolic, you know, or at least suggestive of the fact that they have uh, the correct number to, um, to do the business that comes next. The business that comes next has to do with the replacement of Judas Iscariot or the, the restoration of the 12, that, that apostolic circle. Now, pay attention. Interestingly enough, they don't continue to replace Uh, an apostle every time one dies. For example, here later in the book of Acts, James is going to be put to death, the brother of John, James, son of Zebedee. James is going to be put to death and they don't replace him. So we don't continue. So that idea of apostolic succession is not a part of the scripture. However, they do replace Judas. Now the question becomes why? Why does Judas have to be replaced While, you know, from from here on, they're not going to continue to replace one every time one dies. Well, I think the answer to that is Judas abandons his position. He abandons his office. He he betrays. He turns away. And so uh, in that sense, I mean, to put it crudely, he's not going to be in heaven. You know, and Jesus has already said that the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, they're going to sit on thrones and judge the tribes of Israel. And so there is this sense in which we we need, the church is going to be built kind of on the foundation of of these these 12. And so we need the restoration of the 12th You know, official apostle, and so and so that explains that. Again, they're not going to always replace one every time one dies, but they have to replace Judas because he abandoned the office. Uh, And so here we go. Uh, Verses eighteen and nineteen are really interesting, and kind of kind of if you really are the kind that needs everything in Scripture to line up, you know, with your understanding, then you're going to kind of you're going to have a headache with eighteen and nineteen here. Um, it kind of gives us a quick backstory of Judas and what happened to Judas. And, and uh, what's difficult is to make th- this little bit we learn here in, in these verses in Acts line up with what we're told in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew says that Judas showed remorse, that he went back to the priest, he you know, threw the pieces of silver on the ground, went out and hung himself. Now, obviously, that's an abbreviated story, you know, that, that would have taken a whole lot more time. There's a lot of that story that we're obviously not told. Uh, Acts then tells us other details that are difficult to square. For example, it says Judas bought the field with the money he received from the first treachery. It's like, okay, well, who bought the field, you know? I don't have a lot of trouble squaring that up uh, because in the same way that, um, I mean, it's It's the money that Judas got for his treachery and whether he went out and bought the field or the priest bought the field with that money. We're still just being told that that's where the money came from. It doesn't necessarily mean that Judas himself you know went to the real estate broker or, or that the priest did it's kind of like if, if my mama gives me money to go to the grocery store to buy bread you know we could say your yeah, mama bought the bread well she did buy the bread she didn't go to the grocery store you know so it's the same thing you could say that he, he, the field was acquired with that money uh, without necessarily getting up into who exactly went and you know signed the deed right but but the priest bought the money uh, with the money that was you know exchanged for Judas's treachery a field was acquired by the priests. Of course, in Judas's name. It sounds like, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew, you would think that Judas just went out and hung himself like he was dead before Jesus was dead. But Acts, uh, suggests that there was more more to that story. What it sounds like to me, and this is just me trying to put it all together, uh, the priest by the field, which is something that Judas doesn't necessarily, obviously Judas was remorseful and that's not what Judas wants. So it sounds like to me, Judas goes out to that field that they bought in his behalf, right? They bought with his money. It sounds like Judas goes out, hangs himself there. That would be an act of, of uh, uh, sort of revenge, He's going to defile the field by taking his life by dying on it, and therefore it's no longer useful, you know, for the priests, and that's why they have to turn it over, you know, turn it into a cemetery, a place for the dead. Acts gives us the 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 tale, though, that you know, apparently the rope breaks. Uh, Judas's body, you know, falls from the heights and uh, his intestines spill out. I mean, again, uh, it's the most inglorious death possible. I think the point of the story is there's more to that story than either account knows. And it's sort of hard for us to create, you know, the, the whole story without more information. But anyway, that's kind of the way I write the story. Uh, from there on, Peter is convening sort of the, the group. You can see that Peter takes a, piece, a place of prominence pretty quickly. Uh, And they start talking about how to replace Judas. What we learn here are the qualifications for an apostle. Like, what's it mean to be an apostle? And obviously, the the primary role is to be a witness. You have to be an eyewitness to to Jesus' ministry from start to finish. And I just think it's interesting because we often just think it's just these 12 guys walking around. But there was obviously always a larger number. And so here, there are, you know, there are several men that you could say they were with us from the time Jesus was baptized by John all the way up to the ascension. Like they were there. They saw it all. They were with us the whole time. I think that's just interesting. Um, And and the two that they mentioned are uh, Joseph called Barsabbas. Barsabbas means son of the Sabbath. He had the nickname Justice and then Matthias. There, are there, there are two there. Both, they seem to be the the best options, probably uh the ones that the the other eleven thought the most uh, felt were most faithful, always there kind of guys. And so they pray, they turn it over to the Lord, they pray, and then they uh they uh, they they assign lots. Rather than just you know you know, cast lots, it sounds like one of those deals where like you you know, reach into a bag and whoever gets the gray rock, you know, whatever. But the point of that matter is God makes a decision. They don't ultimately decide. They leave that decision up to God. And the casting of the lots is the way to determine God's choice. And the lots fall upon Matthias. And so he's selected to be the 12th apostle with the other 11. The, the, the 12 uh, offices are, are restored there. Uh, I don't think Matthias is ever mentioned again in scripture, which is you know kind of interesting. You know, we got all this trouble. You think maybe he's really going to become something. And church tradition says that he does go on to be a very faithful missionary, I think in Ethiopia. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, this is what happens up until the day of Pentecost comes, and that's going to come in chapter two, which is where we'll pick up tomorrow. We're going to do the whole chapter. I know it's a lot, but there really isn't a good place to to, to cut the story of Pentecost up. So uh, eat a good breakfast and read tomorrow it's chapter two, verses one to 41. I can't wait, y'all. This is the day of Pentecost tomorrow. The birthday of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I'm excited. So read ahead and be ready tomorrow to jump into, gosh, one, one of the best chapters in all of scripture. I love it. So they of Pentecost tomorrow. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 41. I don't think I said I love you. I love you guys. I, I, and, I, and I don't just say it. I really, really appreciate all of you. And I, and I love this time of the word. And the book of Acts is so good. So I'll see you in the morning. Lord, we and listen for Tim with Tim. I love you all. Have a great Tuesday.